My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Taylor McLean and Darius Mershahi. On their own, anti-black racism and precarious work each take a serious toll on the people who have to navigate them. For people who face both, the impacts can be even more profound. Racism against black workers is ubiquitous in all kinds of workplaces and plays out in a lot of different ways. Taylor McLean says that in his experience, it's common for the work of black workers to face greater scrutiny from supervisors than the work of white workers, and it's also extremely common for black workers to be reprimanded for things that are more likely to be ignored when white workers do them. Racism can also be a significant barrier to black workers getting and keeping jobs and to being promoted. Precarious work is also increasingly common these days and takes a lot of different forms. Take, for example, the work of keeping buildings clean, what you might call janitorial work or cleaning work. In most cities across North America, particularly in large downtown buildings, but in lots of smaller places throughout communities as well, it is mostly contracted out to cleaning companies. These companies must periodically bid on the contracts for particular buildings, which exerts a powerful downward pressure on wages and can make the jobs of cleaners quite insecure. Sometimes workers are kept on when a contract changes hands, but in most jurisdictions there's no guarantee of this. And because the work is organized this way, most cleaning jobs pay less than a living wage and are quite precarious. In the face of these conditions, lots of cleaning workers have chosen to organize. Much of that has happened through the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, particularly through their Justice for Janitors campaign. Justice for Janitors has been around since 1985 and has members in cities across the continent. How exactly Justice for Janitors has played out has varied a great deal in different times and places, but the intent, at least, has been to go beyond the narrow workplace-only approach taken by many unions to include more active engagement with community as well. Taylor McLean is a cleaning worker in Halifax and an African Nova Scotian. Darius Mershahi is an organizer with SEIU Local 2, in particular with the Justice for Janitors campaign in Halifax. Until quite recently, McLean worked as a cleaner in a building in Halifax called Founders Square. Founders Square is managed by a company called Armor Group, and at the time that McLean worked there, the cleaning contract was held by a company called GDI Integrated Facility Services. In March of this year, Armor Group terminated its contract with GDI and contracted a company called Deep Down Cleaning to take over Cleaning Founders Square. The union heard about this, and as is its practice in such cases, it approached both Armor Group and Deep Down Cleaning to see if they would be willing to retain the same workers to do the same work. While companies are not obliged to do this in Nova Scotia, they sometimes are willing to in order to have staff who have experience with the building, and for some companies it's even standard policy. But the union's approach was ignored in this case, and it soon became clear that only one non-supervisory cleaning worker who had worked under GDI was being hired by Deep Down Cleaning. 
the one worker who was hired was white, all of those workers who were not hired were black. The laid-off workers and the union were very clear that whether this was the result of overt bigotry or not, the impacts were clearly racist. They decided to launch a human rights complaint, and they held a media conference involving prominent black community activists and politicians with sympathy for workers. The workers at this point still had a few weeks left on the contract, and the company fired them immediately and took to the media claiming that the termination of the contract had been due to complaints about shoddy work. This was news to the laid-off workers themselves who had not been told of complaints about their work, and was also news to at least some tenants of Founders Square who spoke out in support of the workers. Since then, the campaign supporting the workers has only grown. Multiple rallies have been held to demand an apology and the rehiring of the laid-off workers with extensive community support. Though the union has used their collective agreement to find new work for the workers, the human rights complaint is still slowly moving forward, and community groups continue to push the companies involved to do right by the black workers who were treated unjustly. I spoke with McLean and Mershahi about racism in the workplace, about precarious work in the cleaning sector, and about what it has looked like in this case to fight back against them. My name is Taylor McLean. I'm one of the workers that was laid off during the whole conflict between us and Armour Group. My name is Darius Mershahi. I'm a union organizer with SEIU Local 2 and the Justice for Janitors Movement and was one of the main organizers getting people together to call attention to this injustice that occurred at Founders Square here in Halifax. So before we get to the layoffs and all the stuff that came after, maybe Taylor, you could start us off by telling listeners a bit about the job and the working conditions and all of that. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, your regular cleaning job. I've been working with the company that had the contract, GBI, for, I think, in October, it's going to be seven years. But I had been in that specific place for probably around three months. I was doing the public areas, like the office scrubbing, and if there was anything serious that needed to be done, I would help out, you know, the supervisor and stuff like that. The other cleaners were on the floors doing the garbage runs and any work that needed to be done at the offices after hours and stuff like that. Like I said, it's just, you know, your regular cleaner job. And Darius, talk a little bit about the cleaning sector more broadly. Cleaning work in Halifax, much like a lot of other communities across North America, is contracted work, it's precarious work, it's work that's not fairly and adequately compensated. And so there's been a push across North America to raise these standards, to raise wages, to win benefits, to win protections through the Justice for Janitors campaign and through unionization. In Halifax, that really started four or five years ago where we made a big push and organized GDI, which is the biggest cleaning company in Halifax. And I think it's also the biggest cleaning company in Canada. So successfully organized GDI, one improved pay, paid sick days, benefits, whole bunch of stuff. Now the wages are still not where they should be, to speak lightly of the situation. It's still a big fight to bring wages up to what would be considered a living wage in this community. But there's a lot of other companies that are driving these standards down and these wages down, which is you know part of the overall struggle when you're talking about organizing if you organize and win 
huge gains, then you can also organize yourself out of a job, right? So part of what we're trying to do is organize other companies. We've been successful in organizing the workers at Be Clean, which is another very large cleaning company here in town. And we've also had some small victories with some other smaller companies. And we're working on trying to organize cleaners across the entire community and set new standards and raise the standards. Now in Halifax, just a few years ago, it came out in the news that even City Hall was being cleaned by some of the most exploited cleaners in the community. So you had this situation, and it persists. The municipal contracts in the city are primarily given out to some of the most exploitative companies out there, the ones who are saying that they can do it the cheapest, obviously, right? And when you have money as the only determinant factor as to who gets a contract, then you see standards drop rapidly. And so we've seen that in Halifax. We're fighting it. It's an ongoing push that we're engaged in to move things back in the right direction because not too long ago, cleaners could afford a middle-class quality of life in our communities before the outsourcing, before the contracting and this race to the bottom mentality of contract flipping and competitive bidding. And tell listeners about the Justice for Janitors campaign. Justice for Janitors is meant to be a movement. I mean, it's a campaign that's spearheaded by SEIU across North America, but it is also a movement that brings in the broader community in every community where it operates. So here we had multiple groups, you know, student unions, other unions, faith groups, activist groups in the broader community, all kind of coming together to affirm that, yes, janitors deserve better than the kind of treatment that they're getting. They deserve living wages. They deserve to have their rights respected. And that also racial discrimination in the workplace, which there's a long history of here in Nova Scotia, needs to be addressed and needs to come to an end. And so as part of this organizing around Founders Square, we saw a very quick and organic formation of a community coalition that called itself the Black Workers Matter Community Coalition that brought together, as I said, other union activists, faith groups, community activist organizations, and many others to call attention to the issue and to lend their solidarity. And so absolutely, it is bigger than a union issue. And these companies are realizing the hard way that it is bigger than a union issue. Just yesterday, an activist organization here in town called Solidarity Halifax went and did leafleting and held signs outside of one of armor groups buildings that deep down cleans. And so this is not a finished struggle. This is an ongoing struggle and the community is still very much engaged. And last thing before we get into the specifics of this case, I'd be interested in hearing from both of you about the ways in which anti-Black racism in the workplace shapes access to and experiences of work for Black workers more generally in Halifax. I guess it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. In a sense of that, like, when you're working, you have to realize that certain things will be kind of swept under the rug for other people. So, like, say if I'm late, maybe it's like five minutes to work, it's a big deal in certain places. But yet my friend who's white could be late. And we actually used to joke about this all the time. We used to laugh about this all the time. He was like, oh, man, I've been late, like, every single day, like, 20 minutes since I got hired last year. And they have barely said anything to me. And he's like, you're late, like, you know, five minutes, seven minutes. And they always call you in the office and talk down to you and stuff. And he's like, I'm just like, yeah, man, it's just funny. There was an incident where he got called into the office to serve the notice that I was getting written up for being late the day before. But he was late that day that he showed up to get that notice. 
and they were telling him like, oh man, you gotta tell him that he's getting written up. And he was like, man, I feel super uncomfortable because like I'm late right now, today, the same amount of time. I've been late every single day. Like what's going on? He's just like, oh, it's different because you know, you're a supervisor or you're this or that. After a certain point in time, so many things, little things kind of get to you where it's just like, if you do something, it's a big deal. But if another person does something, you know, it's, oh, we'll just sleep it on the rug. It's not a big deal, you know? There's so many little instances like that where it's after a certain time, you kind of just expect it and you just kind of laugh about it because it's just so blatant. And the defense for it is so out there that it's just like, what are you going to do? I mean, like, you just got to keep working. You're not going to quit your job. You just kind of have to just realize that there's different standards in place for you if you're of a different race. It just happens all the time, you know? So, like, what I have to explain it to people is, like, I have to reach back into my brain and think of, like, a specific time because it happens so many times in so many different ways. But that's one of the ways. It could be, you know, you get passed over for positions that are higher up in the food chain for someone that has less seniority than you. My parents, when they were raising me, I'm talking about jobs because they've had to deal with it on a more extreme level because of the time that they grew up in. My stepfather was born in 1949 and my mom was born in 1961, right? So it was kind of this push to be like, whatever you do and whatever you are, if you're working as a black person, you have to be perfect pretty much. Like you can't slip up, you can't slack because, you know, the white kids over there can slack and it's just like, oh, you know, they just had an off day. But if you slack and you're a minority, it's all oh, those minorities are, you know, they're lazy and stuff like that. And I've seen people talk about some of the immigrant workers that we have, you know, because, you know, those guys don't want to do anything. They just, you know, they're so greedy. They want their money and this, that, and that. And it's just like, you know, just blatantly talking to you about it and when I turn around and then someone brings up races or act like it doesn't exist or it's just like, man, I've been watching you guys talk about people. I've been watching you guys treat people differently this whole time. And you're telling me that it doesn't exist. And especially when you're doing service work, you're doing, you know, service work for people. You have that added classism on top of that. And when historically, you know, your people have done the work that was looked down on and they were kind of judged by that. It's just kind of natural for people to kind of judge you like that. Like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you are. You know, this is what you've always been. This is what you're always going to do. They look at you less than another person or just as someone that throws their garbage out. So at Founder Square, whether it was overt racism, where they made a very conscious decision that they didn't want to have any of the black workers continue to work there, or if it was not overt and just structural, there's still a racial injustice at play. If the property manager and the new incoming cleaning company said, hey, we got to make sure that this one worker here has continued employment, we like him, whatever, and they didn't provide that same decency to the other workers, not out of malice, but they just didn't do it because they didn't think it was necessary, there's still a racial injustice at play. Racism doesn't have to be overt bigotry all the time. There's structural issues with just the way that cleaners are given access to different ships. When you look at a lot of the cleaning companies, they'll have white workers in the day and they'll have workers of color at night. And they'll come up with different excuses for that. But there are structural issues related to racial justice in this industry, in this community. Now, it's happening all the time and no one will hear about it or see about it because a lot of the times there's no union there to advocate for workers or to help workers fight back. I'm sure this is happening in a lot of non-union companies that we don't even hear about it. 
we heard about it in this particular situation because we found out some of our members were being laid off and we went and talked to them. And then we found out that, oh, not only are they not offering continued employment to most of these workers, there's a racial divide in terms of who is being offered this work, right? And we were able to then help people make the decision on addressing that. So when you have a union, you're able to fight for racial justice as, as part of that platform and having that power, right? And it has always been really important in terms of fighting for equality, fighting for racial justice. Unions have played a role in that. But within unionized environments, there's still all kinds of racial discrimination that happens, and we're seeing it here in Halifax with municipal workers. They just had a protest earlier this week making the same claims that you know they're passed over for promotions. They're not treated with the same level of respect. Equality, we haven't reached it. There's still a long way to go, and workers in this city are very much calling attention to that and the systematic disenfranchisement economically of the Black community, the African Nova Scotian community, is an ongoing justice issue that's been happening for a very, very long time here. Lay out the circumstances leading up to the layoffs. The union got word that all of the members at Founders Square were being laid off because GDI had lost the contract. We reached out to workers, started talking to them, trying just to assess the situation. Workers made it very clear that they wanted to continue working there. We sent a letter to both Armour Group and deep down the incoming cleaning company. That was a joint letter on behalf of all of the workers where everyone you know, signed off on the letter saying that they wanted to continue working there and inquiring on how we could make that happen. That was completely ignored. And as a result of the conversations, well, the one white worker was offered continued employment out of all of the non-supervisory workers. And all of the other non-supervisory workers are people of African descent, either recent immigrants or African Nova Scotians. And there is a racial element to this. And so people decided it was a good idea to call attention to it and announce that they were starting the process of filing a human rights complaint on the issue. We held a press conference and we had members of the community there very well-respected activists such as Lynn Jones and L. Jones, alongside the leader of the Nova Scotia NDP, Gary Burrell, and others in the community from groups like Working While Black and Solidarity Halifax and many others. Armour Group responded very aggressively by immediately terminating the contract, like effectively terminating those workers' employment in the building even earlier than anticipated which is in and of itself a violation of the Human Rights Act, which forbids punishing people for exercising their rights under the Act. Then that snowballed into a much broader campaign, people rallying out front of Founders Square every day for a whole week, and there's been multiple rallies since then as well. So it's an ongoing open case. We're still going through the process of filing this human rights complaint and still going to be taking these companies to task. So, from what I understand, after you started challenging the racial injustice here, the company trotted out the excuse about having lots of complaints. What's your take on that excuse? Yeah, they said that they had two other complaints over the last 12 months, and that's why they terminated the contract or whatever. Now, I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, two other complaints. Well, you don't even specify what the complaints were. The supervisor, when I was talking to him, one of his complaints about the building management was that he doesn't differentiate between work orders and actual complaints. So complaints are, you know, you're not doing something, so you get a complaint. A work order is someone spilled coffee on the floor, so you have to go clean it up. A building manager would lump those two together. 
And he would also do a lot of his inspections around 11 o'clock the next morning. We had already did our work in Vingard. And then say, you know, talk about, you know, the mirrors and stuff like that. So there's spots on the mirrors and stuff. It's like, you know, well, people have been here for like four hours. Whatever happens when we're at home and before we come back to work is up to whoever's in the building there. So it's really just a detraction to try to get away from the issue. But there's like so many holes in that story that it's easy to see if you think about it. For all I know, all the complaints could have came from the daytime. And they had stopped communicating with us like eight months before we had lost the contract. The last communication we had had from them as a night crew was, oh, yeah, you guys are doing a good job. Just keep it up. And after that, they just stopped talking to us. From as far as I was concerned, like we were doing good because that was the last thing they had said to us. You know, if the workers have been told they're doing a good job and that's the last that they've heard, then whether you're complaining to their management about it or not doesn't change the fact that the workers are doing their job. So they responded to workers claiming racial prejudice in the rehiring practices by turning around and smearing the quality of their work in the media, saying they had all of these complaints. Then on top of that, you've got a situation where this wasn't about quality of work. This is about continued employment. So they could continue to work under a new management. It's not the workers that a lot of their complaints were with. Even in their thing, they said that they didn't like the customer service of the company or something like that, right? What they did was they tried to find a way to pass the buck and to change the topic of the discussion. The discussion is there's a racial injustice happening in terms of who's being rehired and who's not being rehired, whose livelihoods matter and are going to be accommodated and whose livelihoods don't matter. And in order to distract from that conversation, there was a concerted effort to smear the quality of the work of the workers themselves. There was more than one tenant that came forward and said that they had no issues, they had never complained, and that they thought that the workers were doing a great job, one of which wrote a piece about it. And on top of that, if you're grouping work orders and complaints in terms of, oh, something was spilled here or this needs to get done, 200 over a year is only about 15 a month. And if you're grouping these things together, that's actually not a ridiculous amount. And then also, just to reiterate, the majority of workers work at nighttime. So if people are complaining in the middle of the day because something's happened in the middle of the day, like someone made a mess somewhere, that doesn't reflect poorly on their work. That's a separate issue, right? And also, a lot of people do feel more entitled to complain about the work of black people because of the history of racism. So what was the process like of gathering support in the community for the laid-off workers? So many people have this experience and understand what it's like when you're working in the service sector and stuff like that. So it was just a thing of like, oh yeah, this has happened to me too. Or yeah, I totally understand this. We're all tired. After folks had their employment terminated early by Armor Group, we called an emergency meeting and that was spread pretty far and wide by various people who had already been involved at that point. Like when we had our first press conference, we had a tremendous turnout from various community groups and faith groups and activist groups and other unions in town. We weren't necessarily anticipating the amount of media that this ended up getting. From our first press conference, it blew up in the community and everyone was talking about it. Everyone was hearing about it and seeing it and it kind of made it so that a lot of people just came out and took a side who weren't even connected to any of these groups. So it was a flashpoint that allowed for a very organic mobilizing and organizing around the issue. But there was, you know, some tremendous effort put in by community activists such as L. Jones and Lynn Jones, who really brought a lot of 
the community together to call this out for what it was. Where do you see things going from here? Well, we can't talk too much about the human rights complaint. We're still going through the process. It's a long process. Everyone is committed to going through that process, all seven of the workers, even though we've helped people move on and find work in other buildings, other locations, through our collective agreements with GDI. People are still committed to pushing this forward. We can't speak too much more on that issue just because there's not much else to really talk about right now. It's still working its way through the system. We had a group called Solidarity Halifax reach out and say, hey, is it cool? We want to continue to do some work on this issue. Me and Taylor talked about it and said, yeah, you know, if people want to pick up the torch and keep it going, that's a great idea. And so there was a large group of community activists yesterday that were out flyering, leafleting, holding signs, and keeping the pressure up outside of one of Armour Group's buildings. There's been a call for a phone zap where everybody kind of calls Armour Group and tells them that they expect better from them, that they expect them to honor the lives and livelihoods of black workers, and the same with deep down cleaning services. That's an ongoing thing. What kinds of larger scale changes are necessary to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again in the future? There's a few things. Cleaning companies can all commit to a policy of retaining workers and honoring their terms and conditions whenever they take over contracts. That's a big one. We can also get that through labor law. You know, successorship rights for workers could come into play like they have in Ontario. We can get policies from building managers around responsible contracting. There's a whole myriad of solutions to the situation. A lot of companies, if they're taking over a contract, it's a lot easier to just retain the workers who are already working in that building, who know that building. It's less disruptive to the workers, and it's also less work for the company. Now, the only reason companies will choose not to retain existing workers in contracts that they take over is because they want to undercut them. So they want to actually replace them with cheaper labor. So it needs to be a cultural shift where these companies agree to honor collective agreements whenever they take over a contract and keep the workers on. It would do a huge service to the workers in this industry. That's how we eliminate precariousness in the industry. And hopefully we can pressure enough of these companies to the point where they just agree to that. And if they don't agree to that, then we need to pressure the building managers to make that a policy for their buildings and also the government to bring that in as a policy for all workers across the province. And Taylor, what would you like to see in terms of a resolution to the layoffs? I mean, I feel like what most people want there's just an apology and, and like understanding that like these things happen and the promise and the action to do better. A lot of people think that like anytime someone brings up racism or it goes to court and stuff like that, it's just about money. But it's like really, I would prefer that you know you just do better. You know what I mean? So these things don't happen again because what's money to me if I'm still living in the same world that I was yesterday, right? So that's pretty much the long and short of it. Yeah, the systemic changes. That's what this is all about. You have been listening to my interview with Taylor McLean and Darius Mershahi about racism in the workplace, precarious work, and the struggle of a group of black janitors in Halifax in the face of unjust termination. To learn more about various struggles by cleaning workers in Canada, go to justiceforjanitors.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Yeah.